Hello, and welcome to Notes from an Imaginary Place. I'm Rudy Dorneman, and this is a podcast of short stories set in imaginary, fantastical places. This time, our story takes you to a nursery, but a somewhat unique nursery. Here we go. Nursery. Each capsule is as round as the world. Each capsule, for a few years, becomes the world for one young person. The line of capsules wound through the trees, across the fields, around the lake. In one place, the road dipped into a little tunnel to go under the capsules without breaking the line. When you're young, one of the capsules gives you a place to go every day, a place that's yours alone, a friendly voice that exactly fills the space, calming lights, screens and goggles and experience gloves. It shows you everywhere and tells you about anything. Just ask. Soon, you don't even have to ask. When it senses you're in the mood, it offers pictures you might like to see, songs you might like to sing, stories you might like to hear, activities you might like to try. Looking back, years later, you'll be surprised how much you learned when you thought you were playing all day. You think you have enough time, that your world is nothing but time. The line of capsules wound through the clearing and back into the woods, along the stream, down one side of the ravine and up the other. Each capsule was as round as the world. Each capsule might as well have been a world. But you weren't young anymore, having come all these years beyond childhood, having spent most of them far away living a louder life. Now you'd come back to this stretch of capsules, and taken up the job of trailmaker, trail keeper, and child usher. You thought you had enough time before the storm, and you had so much to get done. As an usher, you helped children go to and from the capsules. They never needed much help after the first week or so, so most of your work was making sure the paths to the capsules were easy to follow. No washouts or muddy sections, no low-hanging branches, no hole-downed trees blocking the way. The line of capsules wound across the countryside. Each metal sphere had a few patches of original paint, but was otherwise nothing but dull gray, weather-burnished metal. They'd been standing here for many decades, each one supported by a pair of leg struts and by resting against the capsules before and after it. Each capsule was a cozy, safe compartment for a child, and once a child had chosen a capsule, it became their place, their refuge, and the door would iris open only at their touch. Some years later, when a certain combination of age and infrequency of visits was eventually reached, the door would ignore their touch. Until then, though, they could climb the ladder, which was just a series of bars welded to one of the leg struts, and curl up here for a day, a night, a week. Fortunately, the factory that made the capsules had originally made diving chambers, so every compartment was solid. A pair of thick metal half-spheres joined together with bolts as wide around as an adult's leg. 
the wandering line of metal spheres could probably have stood just as solidly for at least as long again as they already had, and they were fondly remembered by grandparents and great-grandparents. They were as enduring a part of the landscape as the low stone walls they occasionally crossed. The interiors were soft upholstered and colored in various bright or dark themes. There were screens on the walls which let them visit children in any of the other compartments along the thousand miles of the nursery's length. When they grew up, children who'd regularly visited the nursery line would often have either dreams of returning or nightmares of not being able to go back. You've also heard that some have dreams like the ones that occasionally visit you, dreams in which you return and everything is as cozy as you remember until you go to leave and find the door has gone oblivious to the finger taps that should be opening it, and you keep tapping, 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 tapping until you wake. When you were a child and you could go inside your capsule, the capsule could make pictures on all the walls and sounds that came from everywhere, a world all around you. The capsule was always very careful to tell you when it was going to imitate the world like that. You could be anything. You could go anywhere. The pictures and sounds would change as you moved. It made you think you were really there, its own kind of dream. You could run with dinosaurs, fly with comets. These experiences could be a little terrifying when they started, and a little sad when they ended. And when they ended, the walls always turned back to the way that you'd seen them the very first time you came in. When those rich experience times ended, the capsule would have you put your favorite rug in the middle of the floor, and you would curl up on it while the capsule played a song, the song about the six little jellyfish. When you accepted the job as usher, you knew the position had three aspects in addition to landscaping. One was that you'd bring new children to unoccupied capsules, and maybe you'd have to guide them a couple times again over the next few days if they forgot the way. Less frequently, you would have to explain to a child who was too young that they weren't ready for the nursery yet, that the nursery wouldn't be ready for them until they were old enough to climb the stairs unaided and balance on the top rung while they held their hand up to the touch lock long enough for the bond to take. The third aspect was more melancholy. Even more infrequently, you'd meet a child who'd grown too old, whose capsule door wouldn't recognize them anymore, and this time it wasn't just a glitch that would go away by afternoon. Maybe you'd see them wander back a few times over the next couple of weeks, loitering and trying it again just in case. You wondered if you should gently block their way, if you should tell them that even though the nursery was closed to them now, there was so much growing for them still to do elsewhere. You tried that once, but your words sounded false and flimsy in your ears. After that, you never said much in those situations, just that you were sorry and that you knew that they were sad. Occasionally, you'd see older people wandering by and reminiscing about their childhoods. Others brought babes in arms and would point across a creek or up a hill at the line of color-splotched dented metal spheres like a string of giant beads. 
you'd recognize that this was rarely more than nostalgia, since the children were often too young to really see that far or understand what they were seeing. It was a special kind of nostalgia, one that mixed memories of their own past with strong undercurrents of wanting something for someone else's future. Not so much a desire for the past as for continuity, and perhaps with a twinge of timelessness. You thought you had enough time before the storm. You were wrong. You turned from the line of capsules like a chain of worlds, each world separate, each world contained, just in time to see a monorail rush along a curve of elevated track three fallow fields away. Behind the pylons and the arc of rail, the clouds roiled in a green tangle. There were shacks every so far along the line of capsules where you could store and recharge your equipment. One was nearby. You'd be safer there. You crossed a rocky stretch that became a wide stream in the wet season. You rushed a little too fast, nearly rolled your ankle two or three times, and scrambled up the far bank without slowing for the bushes that dotted you in brambles. Lightning, everything white, and then, nearly instantly, everything sound. You ran. Storm coming in, and coming in quick. The cloud light had turned a shade of purple-gray that would be more appropriate to the inside of a mollusk shell. As you raced back along the paths you'd just mowed, clumps of grass clippings wet from the first of the rain slid unpredictably under your feet. You tumbled into a thorn bush on one of the turns. You tried to run faster, even as the mud caked thicker on the soles of your shoes. You heard a double chime and knew that the friendly voice inside each capsule was telling each child that they'd need to stay in for a while. Not too long, but long enough to be safe. And that it could show them pictures of what was happening if they asked it to. Sometimes when you're safe, scary things can be interesting. And the kids would be safe. The compartments were made to be bomb-proof, and they were rooted to the ground more solidly than almost anything in either country or city. You'd seen pictures of the capsule line in other parts of the country, and in other countries. The line unchanged, the compartments undamaged while trees had fallen around and over them, or a line in sight of the shore while everything around them had been swept away by a tsunami. Just seaweeds and bits of house insulation snagged on the compartment legs. Here, now, the rain came down so hard it stung, so heavy you couldn't see much further ahead than your arms could reach. The wind pushed at you from every direction, made it hard to move forward, hard to know what forward was. You were in a world of stern wind and angry leaves. It turned dark, very dark, and you thought to yourself how it was barely one in the afternoon. Every morning, you rode the monorail out to your section of the nursery capsule line, and you rode it home every evening. It was like a grown-up version of the capsules, another line of chambers crossing the countryside. You weren't moving very fast now, but the wind and rain had made the world as much of a blur around you as if you were moving even faster than the monorail. Then came a huge cracking sound, a sound like something being ripped apart. You thought you had enough time, that you were faster, that the shed was nearer. You were wrong about all of it. 
Through the rain, you saw a tree or the shadow of a tree coming down on an inexorable diagonal, so heavy, so solid, so heavy. You realized that the ripping sound had been the trunk of this very large, very old tree, an oak whose leaves would take you hours and hours to rake every fall. It seemed to move as ponderously as a glacier, and you thought at first that fear was stretching out your sense of time. Then you understood that the tree's branches were woven into the branches of all the trees around it, and that all that drag was slowing its descent. It came right down on you, and the tree's momentum carried you to the ground, pressed you against the hillside, into the dead leaves, into the watery mud. There was a long moment of pain, like a deep ache full of nails, while lightning that might or might not have been real shimmered at the edges of your vision. You didn't know until later that the tree had been caught by the shed's roof. You'd nearly reached the shed after all, although rain-lost as you were, you were about to run right by. Right then, you just knew that you weren't dead. However, the tree's bark grated the side of your face. One shoulder felt like it might pop out of its socket, and your ribs were starting to strain. The storm intensified over you, rain like a waterfall, minute after minute of nearly continuous lightning, until you were soaked and saturated and blinded. You saw spots, even though you kept your eyes closed tight, and heard a ringing in your ears, nearly as loud as the thunder. Then the storm went quiet. The rain slackened and suddenly stopped, as if it were a curtain that had been drawn away. You saw that a segment of the monorail line had fallen. No one would spot you from a passing train, because there would be no passing trains. You sank further into the soggy ground, as the shed walls gradually buckled and the tree slipped steadily closer to the ground. The sun was already out, glaring down at you. Birds chirped and flew from tree to tree. All around, the sound of dripping leaves like an auditory afterimage of the rain. The children climbed down capsule ladders and started throwing ropes over branches. You couldn't hear, but you knew that their capsules were talking in their ears, that they were learning about pulleys and counterweights, all kinds of complex mechanics, and there was a big project in the middle that they were building that looked like a block and tackle. They turned the forest around you into a giant machine and used it to lift the tree away. The absence of weight swept over you in a chill shiver. The shiver turned to uncontrollable shaking. More children rushed towards you with the medical unit from a capsule, probably taken from the one that's been sitting idle for the last couple of months. They brought it to you, trailing a ridiculously long electrical cable, which they kept very carefully up off the puddly ground with an elaborate system of supports fashioned from storm-fallen branches. Capsule medical units were made to heal the nastiest of cancers, to promote healthy habits and good posture, to culture robust immunities. The machine sang to you. You dozed in and out, safe now, small hands patting your uninjured shoulder. The children talked to you, although you barely understood their words, and they sang along with the machine. Not the song about the six little jellyfish, but songs that clearly meant as much to them as that song had to you. Between the pain and the painkillers, you floated in your own body, 
lying there on the muddy hill. The machine healed you. You heard a voice, a capsule voice, maybe part of the medical unit, and you realized it wasn't talking to you. The children nodded in response and wandered their way back to their capsules, not minding the mud or the washouts, climbing right through the tops of the downed trees, walking along their horizontal fallen trunks. Soon they were all back in their capsules, learning new things, singing new songs, and you slept. You thought you'd had enough time before the storm. You were wrong, and now you understood how wrong. You woke and stood, clothes stiff with mud and body stiff with recent healing. A dozen steps, a dozen more. The landscape had changed, so much fallen, so much disrupted. You walked the two miles to the next monorail station, made your way home, where everything was wet but not so storm-struck. You stumbled upstairs, and one of your neighbors made you soup without asking any questions, probably seeing all the dirt and bits of bark and your general exhaustion. You went back out to your section of the nursery capsule line the next day, began the cleanup, the clearing of paths. You moved as if in a dream, barely remembering what you were doing from one moment to the next. You came back the next day and the next. It barely took a week altogether. Far less time than you expected, because the children had so quickly found new paths, some created by the torrents of rain or the force of the wind, and others of their own invention. The last place you worked was the place where you'd fallen. You could still see the mark of your body, although you couldn't see the tree anywhere, just a few piles of sawdust dotting a line across your muddy silhouette. You were sure you hadn't touched the tree, but something had. And that last day, you walked all the way home, passing one monorail station after another, until your apartment was just a block ahead, your window the only one dark in the whole night-shining building. The next morning, it happened that when you went to the monorail station near your home, you found that you couldn't make yourself get on the train. Your feet wouldn't go up the stairs. Your hand couldn't find the elevator buttons. The song about the six little jellyfish had been running in your head over and over every time you went near the capsules, every time you went back to your work. Now it was so loud in your head that you almost thought you were really hearing it. You'd taken this for nostalgia, but now you knew it was a signal from your subconscious, a marker that a rich experience had ended. You turned back toward home and the music left you. You knew in that instant that you wouldn't go back out to the capsules again. It was time for you to find a new world for yourself. There were other places to continue your learning, to continue your growing. That was Nursery. Thank you, as always, for joining us on Notes from an Imaginary Place. We are now halfway through our series of 26 short stories, presenting a out-of-order alphabet of different kinds of architecture, crossed with another out-of-order alphabet of different professions, and crossed with a couple of other things I'm still keeping up my sleeve. 
But thank you for coming along this far. Next month, we're going to pause, do something a little bit different, and uh, go for an older story. Still something set in a fantastical setting, though, but not part of the overall series. And then the month after, we'll resume and start our way through the second half of the alphabet. So uh, please do join in in a month and after. <laughs>